It's just great to have you together, and I want to welcome you to church today. Back to Church Sunday is something we do every fall. We welcome the community. We welcome our own church. And today's message is about hope. Hope is here. We've all had some difficult days over the last couple of years, it feels like. We've had trials. We've had personal loss. We've had frustrations. And some of us have lost hope. But what is good about being together here today is that in a church, you can find a home. And in Jesus Christ, you can find hope no matter what situation you are facing, no matter what's going on, not only through Jesus Christ, but through the relationships and through the people that are here that can encourage you. There's hope for the weary because we don't have to carry our own burdens. There's hope for the broken because unconditional forgiveness is found in Jesus. There's hope for the underdogs because God goes with us, and with him, we can do anything. Today, I'm going to be talking about one of the hardest places to find hope. Can you still find hope when you're doubting, when your faith is running low? Stay with me, and as we look into God's word this morning, we're going to see where we can find hope. Have you ever heard something that you just had a hard time believing because it was just too good to be true? Or maybe you have a hard time believing it because it just sounds so crazy. That can't possibly be true. I'm going to ask you some questions this morning just for fun. If you decide that you trust this statement, give me a thumbs up. And if you don't trust it, you don't believe it, you can give a thumbs down. Okay, so let's practice thumbs up. Either hand is fine, and thumbs down. Great. Okay, so the first statement is, did you know that on average, in the United States, 11 banks are robbed every day? Believe it or not. That statement is true. Here's the next one. Did you know that you are more likely to be stung by a bee on a windy day? True or false? That one is false. Did you know that in Japan, they have square watermelons? Does that just sound too crazy? That is true. They grow square watermelons so they can stack them and ship them better. What ingenuity. All right, the last one. Did you know that penguins, how many penguin fans do we have out there? Not the hockey team. Penguins can smell toothpaste a mile away. What do you think? That one is false. There is no toothpaste in the Antarctic. It's hard to tell what we can trust and what we should doubt. Doubt has become more and more common for us within our culture. There are many people that we know well that we thought we could count on, and they've failed us. And that's caused us to doubt more. There's so much false information on social media that we wonder, is this true? Can we doubt? Can we believe this, or should we doubt it? And then, of course, there's the news. Is it real news, or is it fake news? This past season of COVID has caused 
so many of us to doubt and wonder whether God is in the middle of all of this. And then all of the reports that come out, do we believe them? Do we not believe them? Are they true? Are they not true? People doubt for all kinds of reasons. But I would argue that the problem is not doubt itself, but rather how we handle the doubt. Mishandled skepticism often results in a lack of hope. And as we doubt more and more, we can start losing hope. We certainly aren't alone in this struggle. After Jesus' crucifixion, his friends were heartbroken because their hopes and their dreams of a new and better world under the rule of God's kingdom had seemingly abruptly ended with no hope. They thought that Jesus was there to be the king of Israel right then and there. They thought he was going to overthrow Rome and that all of their problems were going to go away. He would save them. They watched him suffer and die on a cross. And it wasn't until Jesus miraculously began to show up in his resurrected form after coming back to life that word started to spread among the disciples that perhaps Jesus was alive. Not all of them saw him at the same time. So they were hearing it from someone else and wondering, are you mistaken? Is that possible? Could he really have come back to life? And there was one disciple in particular named Thomas who simply refused to believe. This account of Thomas appears only in the Gospel of John. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't even mention this situation. In John uh, chapter 20, he explained the purpose of his Gospel. He said, I write these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And that by believing in his name, you would have life, eternal life. I think that focus on helping doubters was exactly why John wanted to share Thomas's struggle with us. And that's one of the reasons that we can look at God's word and say, this is trustworthy. We can believe this, not only because there's historical accounts that back up everything that's here, but because we hear the good and the bad of people. People are not elevated. We call them men and women in the Bible saints. And we think that they walked around with a glow around them all the time and that they never made mistakes. But we see right from the beginning that even when meeting God face to face, people doubted him. They disobeyed him. His disciples, his closest followers, didn't know if he really was the Son of God. We see people at their best and we see people at their worst. And hopefully, as we're looking into God's Word, we can see ourselves in here. People who are struggling to believe this news, struggling to believe that this could all be true. Before we read John chapter 20, and you can turn with me there in your Bibles, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've brought us together to sing praises, to sing songs of worship. All of our hope is in Jesus, and your love never fails. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together as brothers and sisters, as friends and family, as neighbors. Thank you for all those that invited someone, for people that came out, 
And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word this morning, we would be encouraged to know that you love us, that you care for us, and that you want us to have a relationship with you that lasts forever. Lord, bless us as we read your word this morning. Help us not to be hearers only, but to be doers, to take some action as a result of what we've heard this morning. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Listen to the first couple of verses in Matthew chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas was called the twin because his personality was a little two-sided. He could be excited and fervent about serving the Lord, and then he could fall into doubt, and he could question what's going on. Sometimes he gets a bad rap in the church as some kind of a stuffy skeptic. We've called him Doubting Thomas. And sometimes when you're talking to someone else, you might say, oh, don't be a Doubting Thomas. Just, just believe this. This is true. You can trust this. If we're truthful, we can see that Thomas came by his skepticism, by his doubt, pretty honestly. After three years of following Jesus, his mentor, he watched him be brutally killed and die on a cross. And the thought of getting his hopes up again, after thinking, here's Jesus, ready to fix everything, can I really believe that he's come back? Was it just someone else dressed up and looked like him? Someone trying to pull a prank? Can I believe this? I don't know if my heart can take it again. I just watched this happen. And now to think about finding out that it's not even true. I can't handle that. Maybe he was trying to protect himself from further pain. And Thomas says, unless I see the evidence with my own eyes, unless I can feel and touch this body and know that he's real, that he's alive. And he talks about Jesus' wounds, touching his hands, touching his side, where he was pierced for our sin. Often we doubt to protect ourselves. Truthfully, we're a lot like Thomas. The doubt that we express is often a way of keeping ourselves from getting our hopes up, thinking that life is going to improve, things that, thinking that things are going to come through, people will do what they said they're going to do, and sometimes that God would really answer our prayers. Or maybe the hope that, could God really love me with all of my mess, with my life the way it is? Is it possible that he could love me in spite of all of those things? I don't want to believe that and then have it all fall through. How many of you have struggled with that kind of doubt where you just don't want to believe someone again because they've let you down? Somebody's hurt you and it's so hard to trust again. What's the first thing we often say when we hear good news? Sometimes we say, no way. 
You've got to be kidding me. Or as my big sister would say, really? We would joke with her all the time because we would tell her anything and she would think we were telling the truth. She'd say, really? Is that really true? Is that possibly true? We want to protect ourselves. And I think over these last decades, we've protected ourselves more and more. We don't want to let anybody in. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to let hope rise. We want to keep it stuffed down in a very real, manageable place. I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to believe that things are going to get better. I'm just not going to trust God because I've seen so many things not work. I don't want to get hurt. A week after Thomas tells the others that he refuses to believe the reports, he and the disciples find themselves together in a locked room. And suddenly, the source of hope arrives. Let's look back at John chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Without any explanation, Jesus shows up in the flesh. There he is. And where are they? They're in a locked room. How did he get in? This is the resurrected Jesus. He's now showing off his power. He can walk through locked doors. He just appears there in the middle of them. They must have been shocked and probably trembling a little bit because Jesus says, peace, be with you. Calm down. Don't freak out. It's me. It's okay. The fact that they're in a locked door tells us that they were also probably afraid. Just a couple of verses earlier, the time that they met, they were also behind locked doors, and it says they were afraid of the Jews. These guys have been following Jesus for three years. They're well known as his disciples. They murdered Jesus. What are they going to do to them? So they're meeting secretly. They lock the doors. They're trying to protect themselves, and Jesus shows up. And whom does Jesus speak to first? All of the men in the room, he looks right at Thomas, the doubter, the one who refused to believe that he was alive. And how does he address him? He doesn't reprimand him for his doubt. He doesn't belittle him for his skepticism. He doesn't ridicule him for needing proof. No, instead, he invites Thomas to see for himself. And he knows exactly what Thomas had said previously. Jesus wasn't in the room, but God hears and knows everything that's going on. Just like Thomas said, unless I see the marks in his hands and I put my finger into those marks and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Jesus said, here, put your fingers in the scars in my hands where he was pierced on the cross. Believe. Put your hand in my side. You can see the wounds are here. Trust me, Thomas. Believe. Jesus is not afraid of our doubt. 
He doesn't make Thomas look bad in front of everyone else. He doesn't make an illustration of him and say, don't be like Thomas, just believe. He says, Thomas, see, come see, come touch me. Come recognize that this is all true. I really did come back to life. There are so many in the church today who are struggling with their faith. Not just people outside the doors, but right here in the church. People who have lost hope that Jesus is who they thought he was. The usual response for those in church when someone is doubting is for them to feel embarrassed or ashamed. They don't even want to talk about their struggles of faith because they think someone's going to judge them and say, well, how can you not believe? You're a Christian, right? You call yourself a follower of Jesus. How can you not believe? Jesus' response was so different. Instead, he's welcoming questions. And that's what we want to do here at First Baptist Church. We don't want you to come thinking that you've got all the answers, but we want you to come saying, I have questions. And whether you've been here for the first day or for 30 years, you can ask questions. We see that over and over again in God's word. People who questioned God, and God doesn't shut them down. He doesn't shut them out. He says, go ahead. I can handle it. I can handle your questions. And he answers them honestly and truthfully and lovingly. Bring your doubt to me. Ask the questions. Because that's how honest doubt can find honest, real answers when you're willing to admit that you have some questions. So that's how the church should respond in a way that, same way that Jesus responded to Thomas. The church should listen to those who have doubts. Listen to what they're saying and listen to what they're not saying. What's the real source of the doubt? Is it doubting the words or is it a doubt because of something that's happened to you, something that's hurt you? Where's the pain? Where's the struggle? If you show us a congregation who's willing to listen, I'm going to show you a congregation that's providing hope for the hopeless. And that's why people will come to get hope. Secondly, our church should be emphasizing empathy and compassion. When people let themselves feel other people's hurts, when we feel each other's pain and struggles, we're better equipped to listen and to provide help, to build a bridge to faith and to hope. That's why we have small groups. Sarah talked about different groups that are meeting this week. That's why we have Sunday school classes, a place where you can be in a safe place to ask questions. I don't understand this. What does this mean? Let's dig in and get the answers from God's word. Life's challenges, the reasons that we're struggling with hope, God's word has the answers. So we're here to encourage you. So whether, again, if it's your first time here or you've been here a bunch of times, go beyond the step of just worshiping together on Sunday mornings. I'm so glad you're here. But when you take that step and get to know people, that's when your faith really starts to grow. And that's when you're going to be encouraged. Jesus was not afraid of Thomas's doubts. And we shouldn't be afraid of anyone's doubts either. We go from being full of doubt to being full of hope 
when we find that people care and that they're willing to walk through this and love us. So Thomas, is re- Thomas reaches out. He touches Jesus' hands and his sides where there were once wounds and there are now scars, reminders of pain, but proof of the resurrection. This is the same Jesus who was pierced for our sins on the cross. He's now alive. So here's the ending, verses 28 and 29. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This was all Thomas needed. He recognized that if Jesus could overcome death in the grave, surely he must be God. No one else could do that. And then this disciple, who is the greatest doubter, becomes the disciple who makes the greatest declaration, the truest claim of who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. And it becomes personal. It's not just, you must be God, but you are my God, and you are my Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus has a place in his life where he's going to be his Lord and Master. He's the one I'm going to listen to. He's the one I'm going to continue to follow. It's not just enough to know that God exists, to know that Jesus died on a cross, but you need to personally say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord. I want to live my life in a way that pleases you, patterned after you. Jesus is thankful for Thomas's faith in this passage. But who do you think he's talking about when he says, blessed will be those who haven't seen me and yet believe? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. People who haven't seen Jesus walk down the street haven't seen him in his sandals and his robe, but we see him in the scriptures. We've learned all about him, and we've seen how he changes lives. That's the proof. That's the evidence that leads me to follow. Changed lives. People who meet Jesus don't go away the same. The book of Hebrews that Frank read for us earlier says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for The conviction of things not seen. That's faith. Believing in something that you can't see, but you know it. You know it to be true. And that's the step that might be next for you. To take that step of faith and say, God, I've sensed that you've been here with me my whole life. But I want to believe. I want to follow you. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. We stop doubting when we begin to trust the source. Thomas had firsthand evidence that came directly from the source. He saw Jesus, and that caused his doubts to immediately melt away. Our doubts can turn to hope when we also go directly to Jesus, who is completely trustworthy. In addition to all of the historical documents and the gospel accounts, the firsthand writings that Jesus of Nazareth, died on a cross, and then he rose from the grave and he appeared to hundreds of people. It wasn't just the disciples trying to keep this story alive. It was hundreds and hundreds of people 
and other writers besides the Bible recognize that fact to be true. We have history of the power that meeting Jesus has to change people's lives. It says the world was turned upside down as the disciples went and shared this news about Jesus. As people heard and trusted in him and their lives were changed, the world was never the same. And it is not the same today because of Jesus. Jesus is the source of our hope. We don't have to be crippled by doubt. Even when we feel our faith wavering, our confidence shaking, we know that Jesus helps us press on. How many of you know who Robert Louis Stevenson is? Raise your hand. He was one of the great novelists of the 20th century. Anybody name a book from Robert Louis Stevenson? Kidnapped. I heard another one. Swiss Family Robinson. Another one? Treasure Island. If you ever had the game of authors, you might know some more of these. Child's Book of Verses. <laughs> he wrote about one of his personal excursions on the South Sea Islands. His ship was in a terrible storm. And in the belly of the ship, the passengers were huddled below deck, away from the storms, and they were frightened. They were worried. Would the ship be lost? Would the mast crack? Would they strike rocks and all die? They were filled with doubts about their safety. They're huddled in the dark below deck. And one of the men finally ventured up, out into the wind, into the rain, and he scurried up to the upper deck, and there he saw the captain quietly pacing the bridge with a tranquil and undisturbed face. He looked out over the sea, and he gave orders confidently to the men handling the ship. He turned to the man, and he smiled. The man went back down below to the cabin, where all the passengers were huddled in fear, and in response to their questions, he comforted them, saying, I have seen the captain's face, and all is well. When we recognize that Jesus is here with us in the middle of our doubts, we discover that hope is here. And all we need to do is look into the face of Jesus, and we too can see that all is well. Everything he said that was going to happen, happened. And he told his disciples, don't be afraid. I'm coming back for you. I'm preparing a place for you. And just as everything else I said was true, this is true. You can count on this. I'm coming back and I'm going to bring you to a home in heaven where you'll be with me forever. When you know Jesus, when you look into his face, it's not just this hope of a future heaven, but it's a relationship right now that begins to know that every day when you wake up, your heavenly Father is there waiting to hear from you, asking you to trust him, to know that he is in control. When we look at the world around us and think, it's just chaos. Who's in control? What's going to happen next? We can look to God and say, God, you know what's next. You're in control of all of this. And for those of us 
who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, and we have that relationship with God, we know that He's walking through life with us, that He knows what's next, and He knows that we can handle whatever comes with Him. Yes, there may be scary days. There may be times that we're questioning, but God says, trust me. All of these things that are happening to you are to help you grow in your faith, to help you become more like my son, Jesus Christ. Our hope this morning is found in Jesus. We can trust him because everything he said is true. Remember verse 31, the purpose of the book. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. We can find life nowhere else. We can't find life in our career, in our family. We can't find hope anywhere except in the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel was written so that we would believe that he truly was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we could have a restored relationship with God. Bringing our hurts, bringing our pain, bringing our loneliness, your worries, your weariness, your doubts. Jesus said, bring all of these things to me because I care for you. Thomas was doubting and he was struggling. So he showed up and he set all of his doubts and fears to rest. Jesus was there to encourage Thomas, and he's here to encourage you. Our sin separates us from God, but only by recognizing that our sin needs to be forgiven, trusting in Jesus, trusting in what he did on the cross, that he's the only one who can forgive us and save us. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to come talk to me, talk to one of the people wearing one of these badges and say, I'd like to know more about how to really trust Jesus. You can talk to me today. You can set up an appointment. If you're online, you can stop by the church next week. That's the most important thing is knowing the source of your hope. But if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, are you struggling with doubt? Do you have questions? Have you had disappointments in your Christian life where you feel like I should be growing faster? Or how come these people in church keep letting me down? Why does this family member not do what they say? God says, there's hope for you as well. Jesus hears your prayers. He understands our problems because he lived them as a man. And he meets you right where you are. He says, bring all your questions, all of your fears to me, and you can find answers. And those answers are here in his word. He's not going to turn away from you when you need him most. Maybe you just want to stop and pray with somebody today. You can do that even before we eat. That's much more important to me than eating. So if you want to stay in the auditorium and just pray with somebody, you can do that. Our church family is here to help. And as I said before, this is not a commercial for growth groups because we just want you to have those kind of relationships where you're encouraged, where you're growing. You have someone looking out for you. You have someone who you know loves you and accepts you just for who you are. So I would invite you 
to take that step. You're here today. That was a big step. Take the step next week and come back again. And if you've been here a while, take that step of getting to know people better. Grow in your faith. Grow in your walk. And find hope in Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that you'll stay and have some food with us. There's going to be some games and uh, some things. We call it fellowship. That's a churchy word for hanging out. So if you want fellowship, you can go outside and we'll enjoy eating together, playing some games, and just enjoying a gorgeous day. Can we thank God for this gorgeous day? So beautiful. Mark's going to come and we're going to sing about our hope in Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for welcoming our questions, not turning us away when we have doubts and fears and worry. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to provide a way to have a relationship with you, to have our sins forgiven, to be right with you, to have peace, and to know that we have a future in you as well. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in Jesus Christ the Savior, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.